So the first reading is from Revelation chapter 7, and that's the last book in the Bible. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We've been uh, doing a series of talks uh, looking at, as we approach the Crossing the Isle Festival, called Crossing the Isle. So we've been looking at this idea of what it means to cross the Isle. And it's the foundation of the talks is looking at the fact that in Australia and in the West in general, we're experiencing, I guess, a period of cultural tribalisation. There's always been cultural tribes, but it feels like more and more that it's harder and harder to communicate with people not from your cultural tribe. It's harder to kind of have healthy conversations when you have a share a different view of the world. And in moments of polarisation that happen every now and again in the world and in the West and in Australia, even that, that lack of ability to communicate can turn into hostility and sometimes even hatred, which is... No good. And, and this is a real problem for everyone and it's a problem for the church because fundamental to being a Christian is that um, uh, Christians have been called by God, this is what we believe, into the world, to the world, um, to be with the world. Um, and that also because Christians worship a God who, who crossed over from heaven to, to earth to be with people, uh, a Jesus who, who spent his life crossing over to be with people who are on the margins and who even died on the cross, not for people like him, but for people on the, on the margins, people who he described as his enemy even. He, he showed love for enemy. So this is what we're doing uh, as we're thinking about uh, what it means to cross the aisle. This is an image that um, comes from American politics uh, where uh, you see... It's, it's a, an example of um, politicians who, who are, are finding a gridlock in their, in, their, um, in their political system and they can't come to an agreement. So one politician will cross the aisle to be uh, with the people from the other side. And um, it's done out of uh, a pursuit of unity and the common, uh, for the common good. And so we're saying this is what we want to be like as Christians in the church. Um, and... In the, in the couple of weeks ago, we had these amazing speakers from Palestine and Egypt talk about how uh, the Christian God is one who shows no favouritism to any tribe or nation. 
Um, and last week we looked at the idea that um, while you might fear judgment as you cross over and talk to people who are not like you from another cultural tribe, um, a different worldview, maybe a different religion, um, or a different economic status, or a different education experience, um, that you, you do not show ju judgment. You do not cast judgment. And if you experience judgment, then you turn the other cheek. This is the Jesus who says to turn the other cheek. And so this week our focus is on uh, being distinctive. The word distinctive means... Um, it means characteristic of one person or thing, and so serving to distinguish it from others. That's what distinctive means. And uh, the, the sentence that the, the dictionary gives to, to explain what distinctive means, it says, juniper, juniper berries give gin its distinctive flavours. So Christians should retain their distinctive flavour when they cross the aisle and talk to people who are not like them, who are from different cultural backgrounds, and not become diluted when they, do, when they cross the aisle. And today, as we baptise Lucy, what we're doing is we're um, demonstrating that she is now to be distinct, distinctly Christian. Uh, God is setting her apart and that the, the ritual of going into the water and out again is, is demonstrating that symbolically. Lucy is going to take on that distinctiveness. But is she going to change and take on some kind of weird personality? No. Uh, why? Because God loves Lucy for who she is, for, for, for her uniqueness. He made her in his image, and that's the same with all of us and people all across the world. In fact, Christianity is a culturally diverse religion. It affirms diversity. And the Bible tells a story that reveals a God who affirms diversity. And this is what as Anthea said at the start of the service, that, that first reading affirms that um, the image, the vision of heaven that John has on the island of Patmos in Greece, um, he has this dream about or a vision of, of heaven and he, and, and, it, and he sees people from every tribe and race and nation and tongue worshipping um, before the Lamb, which is another uh, word for, uh, for Jesus. And, and so it's saying that, yes, there will be diversity in heaven, but the big difference is... These kind of aisles, uh, that's this, the language I'm using now, these aisles between the tribes and the nations are no longer there. There's no longer politics. There's no long, longer conflict. There's no, no longer hostility or hatred or war. And so this is an inspiring thing for us to think about. And one of the cool things about being a Christian I've found is that you actually get to meet Christians all across the world and worship together and experience that diversity. I've only ever preached overseas twice. And the first time I, I preached overseas was um, in Bangladesh. And it was in a, a small church that was meeting discreetly because it's a Muslim-majority country. It was meeting in an, uh, an aid organisation office uh, on the seventh floor or something. And everyone was sitting on the floor. And the music was done on one of those squeeze organ things that they play sitting on the floor and the, and the, and the drums. That was one experience of church that I've had preaching overseas. The other time was in Manhattan, 
complete contrast with the African-American ladies saying hallelujah, you know, in the middle of my sermon. You're most welcome to, if you like. So this is the two contrasts. I've also worshipped with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Catherine, sitting around a campfire. I've, I've, I've heard Rwandan Christians who experienced the genocide talk about the grace and peace that they've experienced. I've worshipped in a German monastery, you know. I mean, the, the, you get to experience this diversity of the Christian life, which is amazing. But on the other hand, while our diversity is affirmed, we're also called to be distinct. The individual members and the church as a whole, more importantly, are called to be distinct, distinctively Christ-like. We're, in the same way that the juniper berry gives the flavour to the gin, Christians are to give a Christ-like flavour to the world. So I'm going to look at three aspects of what this means. I'm going to look at distinctive as a community, the idea of being distinctive as a community, distinctive as a community for others, so for a community directed towards others, and a distinctive as, a, as an alternative community. So distinctive as a community. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, Christians should seek to be distinctive as individuals, uh, Paul the Apostle writes in a letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi that uh, the people there are to shine like stars in the universe. You know, they're to shine brightly, each individual star. But the focus in this saying from Jesus is on the community. Um, now, Jesus says here, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And it's a little hard to see in the English translation, translation but he's speaking in the plural problem in modern English, we've dropped the second person plural pronoun. It's very hard to say that. So in Old English, they would have said, ye, ye, are, the, ye are the salt of the earth. And in Bogan English, we would have said, yous are the salt of the earth. <laughs> so it's, it's easy to interpret you are the salt of the uh, light of the world individualistically. It's easy to think that Jesus is saying here that the individual is supposed to do that. But really... It's the community. And even at our church at Mary Creek Anglican, one of our favourite songs to sing is um, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine me on my own. Um, but perhaps we, we should sing This Little Light of Ours. We're going to let it shine. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Back in Manhattan. So, and this is really important as we think about what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian. It's not I'm a Christian on my own as an individual, but there's a corporate reality to being a Christian, that you're, you're a Christian together. And so this is an instruction for the collective group of disciples. And he's saying you're going to have a bigger impact. You're going to be like a big light shining from a city, you know, across, across, the, across the, the world. Amazing. Jesus actually says, um, one of his curious sayings he says in John chapter 14, verse 12, "'Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing.'" And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And people have often been confused about this because we say, how could I ever do anything greater than Jesus? And the way it's often interpreted is, is what he's saying is, well, you know, there's going to be the church following after me and it's going to grow and it's going to spread across the world and together you're going to do more than I've been able to do in a certain kind of sense um, in his short life. So... Today, when Lucy will be baptised, she's not baptised as a solo Christian, she's baptised into the spiritual family of the church. It's not up to her to be distinct on her own. It's up to us to do it together. 
And a good question um, for those who belong to Mary Creek Anglican, Anglican to ask ourselves is, are we really a distinct church? Does the neighbourhood even know we are here? Good question to ask. What do the people say who walk around the street to go to Peter Monty's to do their shopping, who, you know, go to the Fitzroy Pool to do their laps? What do they think about this church? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Are there any things that we could do to be more distinct? Are there things we could do to stop watering down our Christ-like flavour? So Christians are to be distinct as a community, as a whole church. Secondly, what Jesus is talking about here is to be distinct, a distinctive community for the sake of others. So there's two images of salt and light show us that the Christian community should be distinct for others. It does, the church doesn't exist for its own sake, but for the sake of the world. Jesus' brother James, he said it interestingly, in a, he summed it up, I think, perfectly in one of his letters um, like this. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and secondly, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So it's for the sake of others and be distinct. Orphans and widows, so other people who are in distress, but keep yourself from being polluted. Be distinct. There's, a, there's a, an American chef, uh, Simon Nosrat, who has a book and a, and a Netflix series called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Quite popular. And um, she argues these are the four essential elements of cooking. And about salt, she says... Get used to the way the salt falls from your hands. Experience the illicit thrill of using so much of something we've all been taught to fear. I love that. And she says, though we typically turn to sugar to balance out the bitter flavours in a sauce or soup, it turns out that salt masks bitterness much more effectively than sugar. See for yourself with a little tonic water, campari or grapefruit juice, all of which are both bitter and sweet, Taste a spoonful, then add a pinch of salt and taste again. You'll be surprised by how much bitterness subsides. And also, she says, play to each element's strengths. Use salt to enhance, fat to carry, and acid to balance flavour. Now that your mouth is watering. Salt has a power to cooking, um, and, and the power is that it enhances the flavour. And so in Jesus' analogy, here he's saying, where my disciples are, what's supposed to happen? It doesn't always happen because sometimes my disciples don't live as they should, but what's supposed to happen is the Christ-like flavour should, should enhance the world. The other night on the ABC show Compass, which focuses on religion, it featured this inspiring story of these Polish missionaries who are currently working in uh, the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And so I guess the documentary was just showing the contrast. You know, how would you go from being a Polish person to end up on the other side of the world and um, there's a bunch of these missionaries father Michael father Jan who's been there for 30 years sister Isabella who came in 2013 she serves as a nurse without any doctors um, and um, minimal supplies there's sister Dewida who works with people with HIV Father Joseph uh, they're all featured in this in this little documentary you can watch an eye view it's still up now 
And this, this is a, was a dangerous place to serve for these missionaries that show, showed. Um, Sister Doida um, had been bashed by a gang and left unconscious because um, there were people suspicious. Who are, they, who are these um, people from Poland, these Christians? What are they doing? Um, the, this, these villages had no clean water, um, terrible poverty. And also they talked about how um, the traditional witch doctors uh, were very jealous often, often of what the missionaries were bringing. So um, there was a, a woman taken away from the community to be burnt, um, to get rid of the evil spirits. And so all this sort of stuff was going on. Yet within the struggle and the danger, these Polish missionaries worked as a team um, in their different spheres, working to um, be salt and light to those people in the highlands of PNG. And so Father Jan, he oversaw the building of even roads, um, schools. He built a university there um, and he's even built a mobile phone tower. <laughs> so, you know, really practical stuff. And he, he saw that there were actually trained doctors across, you know, across the area that they could have access to, but there was no rooms for surgery. So he built an operating theatre. These people now have a chance to be lifted out of poverty. These missionaries, they care for the physical and the spiritual needs of these people. They've left the home 6,000 kilometres away on the other side of the planet to live their life amongst the poor and the sick in the highland jungle and to live in a self-sacrificial way to bring life to other people. So when Jesus says, you all are the soul of the earth, he's saying, Bring Christ-like flavour like that. Transform a community. When he says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, he's saying, people will be changed by what you do. Uh, one theologian wrote about this. The church's good works are to function in the secular world as indelibly etched pictures of the Father's love. I love that word, indelibly means that it's not forgotten. Sometimes it refers to a mark made by a, a pen or, a, or, or ink that it cannot be erased. If you love other people in a distinctly Christ-like way, they will never forget it. It's a permanent etched picture of the Father's love on them. It's like when you see, you know, when two lovers might, might carve into a tree, you know, that they love each other, and then 30 years later that the bark is sort of moulded around that carving, but the mark is still there. This is the impact that you have when you be a distinct community that is there for others. And lastly, what Jesus is saying here is that Christians are to be distinctive as an alternative community. When Christians cross the aisle to be with people not like them, the temptation is always to change your behaviour and to change your, 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 your beliefs even. And to lose your distinctiveness because the desire to fit in is so powerful. But this is not what Christ and his followers uh, should be doing. Or Christ tells his followers not to do. In fact, Jesus says it makes them useless, like salt that has no saltiness, if there is such a thing. But there have been times, and you might think, oh, well, it's not just that you become useless. You can actually become poisonous. I would say. There have been times in history when the church has lost its distinctiveness so much that it's become poisonous. A very famous example of this is the, um, what happened to the state church in Germany during the time of 
the Third Reich. When I was in Berlin two years ago, I went to um, the Topography of Terror, which is a museum dedicated to the secret police. And um, they had a special exhibition on at that time when I was there because it was the um, 500th anniversary of the, uh, the European Reformation. And so the, the exhibition was on the role of the Lutheran Church in sort of Nazi history. And um, in, the, in the Second World during that time, many of the German church hierarchy sided with the Nazis. And so at the museum, they showed these disturbing photographs of church processions where you had clergy, you know, and they're wearing their robes and everything. And then you also had Nazi soldiers holding the Nazi flag and parading together. And so what's going on here? The church has lost its distinctiveness so much that it, it blends in with the, the culture around it, the authorities, and it can't even see the difference between the philosophy of Nazism and the Christian faith, which is pretty disturbing, isn't it? So how is the church to be distinctive and an alternative community in this sense? Well, there's a great book called Resident Aliens by Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon, who are these famous theologians from America. And they look at how the church is to be a distinct alternative polis, where polis is the Greek word for city, what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, and these words that we have from him, from the Matthew reading is from the Sermon on the Mount, is a description of an alternative polis or an alternative community. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness, the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely um, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do not hate, but seek reconciliation. Do not lust. Uphold the covenant of marriage. Love your enemy. Do not judge, but turn the other cheek. These are all the things that come out in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the distinct, alternative, Christ-like community which exists for the sake of others. And the church should be this alternative community. And ever since the time of the New Testament, Christians have had to wrestle with what that means. What does it mean in the context of the Roman Empire? What does that mean in the context of uh, being in, in Australia? What does that mean in the context of uh, Nazi Germany? And so what do we do? Well, Hauerwas and Willemann, they point us to this beautiful thing that did emerge at the same time in Germany, which was the confessing church. In resistance to the Nazis, as a truly distinct, salty, light shining alternative christian community the confessing church formed in germany it was a network of pastors and churches who resisted the nazis they were led by um, important people that you might have heard of like dietrich bonhoeffer and uh, there's a famous theologian karl barth they 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 protected the distinctiveness they retained their values and their doctrine and they and they resisted the nazi values as much as they could unfortunately the leaders were ended up being thrown in jail and Bonhoeffer was executed. But their main purpose was to authentically worship Jesus no matter what was going on around them, no matter what they might be facing. So, so the authors of this book, Hauerwas and Willemann, they say these values of the confessing church should be continued to be applied as we experience the culture shift so dramatically. In their context in America, they're lamenting the impact of capitalism and consumerism and individualism. So they say this in the book. 
The confessing church seeks to be uh, seeks the visible church, a place clearly visible to the world in which people are faithful to their promises, love their enemies, tell the truth, honour the poor, suffer for righteousness, and thereby testify to the amazing community-creating power of God. The confessing church has no interest in withdrawing from the world, but it is not surprised when its witness evokes hostility from the world. So when Christians cross the aisle, that's a possibility, as did the... The missionaries in PNG experience as uh, what the early church experienced in Roman Empire and this is what the confessing church experienced from the Nazis so they continue the authors continue the confessing church can participate in secular movements against war against hunger and against other forms of inhumanity but it sees this as part of its necessary proclama- proclamatory action this church knows that its most credible form of witness and the most effective thing it can do for the world is the actual creation of a living, breathing, visible community of faith. So the church can get involved in political advocacy, um, but it's not a political party. It's primarily a worshipping community. This is the distinctiveness of the church. If it tries to primarily influence politics then what happens is you end up doing everything you can to have influence even um, compromising your values to gain your influence so one of the reasons we're doing the crossing the aisle festival is because i'm wanting us to become a little bit more radical more alternative i want us to be a little less middle class and a little more alternative i want us to be a church that stands out i want us to be distinctive I want us to bring more flavour to the inner north of Melbourne, to be the juniper berries in the gin. Think of it that way. It'll sell. I want us to be a living, breathing, visible community of faith. And we can't do that unless we're willing to have encounters with people who are not like us, who are culturally and racially and economically and politically and religiously different to us, to do that in love and humility. So this is what I'm saying this morning. In summary, when Christians cross the aisle to be with people not like them, they must remember to... We must remember to retain our distinctiveness as flavoursome as salt in the meal and as bright as light in the room. Christians are to be our distinctive community who exist for the benefits of others and to be distinctive as an uncompromising, visible, Jesus-focused, worshipping community in the world. Let's pray for that. Lord God, uh, we thank you... uh, that you do affirm diversity, but then you call us to be distinctive and we pray that uh, as a church we will be distinctive, that we'll be more alternative and less middle class and fitting in. Um, And we thank you uh, that you call us to do that. Amen.